Matt was saying right at the beginning, wasn't he? Uh, when you're given something that's precious, when you're giving something that is beyond belief, why do we try and complicate it? Why do we try to make it into something more than that? Tinker with it, twist it. Uh, we don't have to, do we? Because in Jesus, God has come in and rescued us from all that dirt and sin. He has taken us out of that and given us a life of eternity with him in perfection, flawless. It is amazing grace, isn't it? It is the best news ever. So why do we do anything else with that? Why do we try to complicate it? Why do we try to make it something extra to that? Uh, You see, Galatians, the book of Galatians is all about Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw in the first 10 verses that Paul is speaking to this church in Galatia, which he has started and kicked off. He's gone away, and while he's been away, there's been a group of people that have come in who are claiming to be Christian, claiming to be believers and followers of Jesus, and have snuck in and are saying to these believers, look, no, uh, yes, believe in Jesus, but you've also got to become Jewish. You've also got to follow the Jewish customs. You've also got to be circumcised. You've got to have Jesus plus something because Jesus isn't actually enough, guys. But Paul says, no, that's not the go. There is only one gospel. There is only one gospel and that is that in Jesus Christ we are made right with God for eternity. That is such good news. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to tinker with it. We don't have to tool it up. It's one gospel that Jesus saves. He rescues us. Well, the rest of Galatians, Paul goes on to talk more about that and we're going to think through that more. And this week we're going to see how Paul continues on with that and how he builds his argument as he's speaking to the people in Galatia to encourage them to never ever leave the one and only gospel of Jesus. Never leave it. So open your Bibles up if you could to Galatians chapter 1. The section we're looking for today is from actually verse 11 through to chapter 2 verse 10. We're going to do it in two sections. Uh, We're going to read the first part. Betty's going to come up and do that for us. So that's she's going to read from verse uh, 11 through to 24. Uh, It will be printed on the screen but open your Bibles and follow along with me. And then we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 after that as well. But we're not here all morning. We will get through that in good time. Paul called by God. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. 
Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Thanks, Betty. I'm not sure I mentioned this to you, Betty, but I was uh, down in Stanwell Park a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to an old friend of mine who actually is very unwell and uh, can't get out of bed and he said he was listening to one of our talks and our, uh, from our off the web and he said there was this lady with this fantastic Scottish accent. That was Betty. I said, we all love her. She's fantastic. Uh, sorry, I just thought it reminded me of that when I was thinking of it. Uh, Paul, uh, as he said, he's, he's speaking to Galatian church, he's talking about the one and only gospel, but at the same time, these people are not only having a go at the gospel, but they're having a go at him, and so Paul actually puts together like his personal testimony. So from verses 11 through to the end of chapter 2 almost, you see Paul telling his story. Uh, we like personal testimonies, don't we? Uh, they help us to understand what's going on, we like to tell our story, And here Paul is telling his story. But he's telling his story specifically so that they understand that the message that he is telling is the one true message. That it hasn't been made up, that he hasn't just gone off on this fantasy, that he hasn't been smoking some drugs, that he hasn't somehow got it from someone else and made it up and put it together in his own. But this is actually a message of God to Paul to pass on to others. And so he goes on to justify that. So have a look at it in verse 12. He said, I did not receive it from man, any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is saying he hasn't just found this message. He wasn't walking down the street and suddenly it came to him out of the middle of nowhere. He wasn't having a shower and it was revealed to him somehow. He didn't get special glasses and it was revealed to him somehow. No, Jesus met him. And he met Jesus, and Jesus revealed that to him. If you want to read more of Paul's testimony, his story, go back to chapters 8 and 9 in Acts and have a read through there. It's really interesting to see what uh, happened to Paul that time and how Jesus stepped into his life and revealed to him the good news of Jesus. You see, Paul is saying that this hasn't come from anywhere. Jesus revealed himself to me. He revealed his gospel to me and then he sent me to go and reveal that to others. He didn't make it up. It's not a figment of his imagination. This is Jesus revealing it to Paul so he can reveal Jesus to others. This is the truth. That's good to know, isn't it? You know, often people tell us, oh, this is all made up, it's something that's just come from nowhere. A few people got together, sat around and wrote down this story about Jesus. No, this is the truth. Jesus actually stepped in, met Paul, revealed to Paul what it was the gospel was, and Paul went and told that to others. 
We hear later the poor goes down into Arabia. Now, we think that maybe during that time he spent three years of spending time contemplating, listening, talking, speaking with Jesus and having the whole gospel explained to you how it all fits together from Old Testament to New Testament, how Jesus fulfills it all. But he just didn't make it up. Jesus revealed it to him. And we can trust that too. This is the truth, guys. This is not made up fairy tales. This is the truth of Jesus. This is the truth of our salvation. Only one gospel. And no others. The one true gospel is the gospel about Jesus Christ who came to rescue us and make us friends with God Flawless, perfect with him in eternity, forever. Jesus' life, death and resurrection is our salvation and is our life. That is the one true gospel. And it's a powerful gospel. It's a very powerful gospel. Oh, that's a pretty gnarly wave, isn't it? Like Malingo. Um, that's huge. Imagine getting hit by that. It would just floor you, wouldn't it, and flatten you. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. It changes lives. Look at verses 13 to 16 for Paul. Now, this helps you get a bit of an idea of who Paul was. Again, if you want to know more about him, go back in Acts. You'll find out more about him. Look at verse 13. It says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul's aim in life was to knock out anything to do with Jesus. And he went round and he did that. And we find out in Acts of the first stoning of a Christian that we hear of in the Bible, of Stephen, at the end of that story we hear that Paul was there condoning it, approving it. He was out persecuting and sending them to jail, killing Christians, trying to wipe out this movement to get rid of it completely. And look at verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. This guy was the top-notch, almost pin-up boy for Judaism. If they had had pin-up boys back in those days, he would have been on the sides of the beds. Paul, my hero, he goes out, he loves God, he loves the Jewish traditions, he's in the, all that sort of stuff, he knows it so well, and he's even out there killing those guys who are Christians. Yes, he's my hero. But look what happens in verse 15. But, this is a huge challenge. But when God, who set me apart from a mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, but he goes. Huge transformation. Have you ever had any of those moments? I have. I hated Brussels sprouts when I was growing up could not stand them. They were foul. I thought, why on earth did God ever create something like this? They were absolute worst things ever. Then I think when I was about 18, I tasted one again. I don't know how I got to taste it or who threw it at me or put it in my mouth, but I tasted it and, wow, what a transformation. I love them. 
They are one of my favourite vegetables. I even served them last night to the people we had dinner with. They were pretty good, weren't they, Derek and Sue? Fantastic. Brussels sprouts, complete change. Hated them. Now I love them. Well, that's pretty minor, isn't it, really? Compared to the transformation that we see that happens here for Paul. You might remember some things for yourself. Times where you've had major things hit you, major circumstances hit you that have changed your life and transformed your life. These are the top ten that they say uh, for us. Uh, the death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation, uh, imprisonment, death of a close family friend, personal injury or illness, marriage, uh, dismissal from work, marital reconciliation, retirement, and I think there should be one under that, number 11, when your team wins the grand final. It transforms everything, doesn't it? Major parts. But we have these huge things that happen to us, but nothing transforms us like what happened to Paul, is it? He vehemently opposed, killed Christians, loved the Jewish tradition, loved everything about it, was completely sold out for it, but then changes when God steps in and meets him. Complete transformation from the outside, from the inside, to now living and speaking and going to jail himself for Jesus. Completely transformed. That's how powerful the one and only gospel of Jesus is. It can change the hardest of hardest hearts. That's good news, isn't it? I don't know. Do you know people who you know? People you think, oh man, they just don't get it. They just don't want to be part of it. They, they are so hard. So against. They can be changed. You might have family members. You might have people down the street. You might think of politicians. You might think of leaders throughout the world. God can step in and change the hardest of hardest hearts. Don't give up on them. Because he's changed yours. And yours isn't any harder than anyone else's, guys. God steps in and transforms life. It is a powerful gospel, isn't it? It's the one and only gospel of Jesus. It is the powerful gospel. And Paul now wants to say that that's not only a powerful gospel, but it's the gospel that provides unity. It is the one and only gospel. And he's going to confirm that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, because he's going to go take that and speak to Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem. We're going to find out about that right now. Um, There you go. We missed a couple of things. Uh, Betty, could you come up and read again for us? Verses 1 to 10. Paul accepted by the apostles. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. 
This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. It's quite handy that Betty's reading the old NIV and the new one's up there, isn't it? Because it gives a bit of... uh... Explain some of it, doesn't it, for us? It's quite helpful. Uh, this is uh, probably one of the most important meetings in history. Uh, does anyone know who these people are? Oh, it's up there. There you go. That was supposed to come up later. So this is Angela Merkel, Francois uh, Holland and Vladimir Putin meeting just earlier in this year, making some big decisions about what was going to happen in history. Uh, who, do you know who these guys are? Churchill. Who's the middle one? Nah, Roosevelt. Well done, Betty. And who do you reckon this one is? Yes. Does anyone know when the meeting was? End of the Second World War. And so they were meeting at the end of the Second World War to make decisions about how the rest of the world would possibly open up. Big meetings, you think maybe the political meetings, they might be the most important meetings that ever happened. Maybe you think this one, there you go, you've just come up for you. Uh, maybe you thought this was the most important meeting in history. Marty McFly and Doc Brown in Back to the Future 2. Uh, changed all history. He was supposed to turn up this week, if it was actually real, October the 25th. I think it was the date that uh, Marty McFly went into the future and then came back again. Uh, You might think that those have all been the most important meetings in history. Well, actually, I think that this meeting in Galatians chapter 2 might actually be one of the most important meetings in history. And why is that? Uh, Because Paul comes to Jerusalem. This is 14 years later. He comes to Jerusalem. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been going on about Jesus. He's the one and only. Uh, And he comes to Jerusalem and he comes to meet the apostles in Jerusalem, Peter, Paul, uh, Peter, James and John, I think he comes up there. Uh, He comes to meet them in privately to sit down and chat to them about what he's been preaching and what they've been preaching. Now, if there is a difference between what Paul is preaching and what Peter, James and John were preaching, then we would have a completely different world that we're looking at today. Because these people who were going against Paul were saying that Peter's gospel is different to Paul's gospel. Peter's gospel is about Jesus plus other things, but Paul's gospel is only about Jesus. And so Paul comes to them and sits down with Peter 
and they get together and they talk about the gospel and they come to the end of it and they come to a conclusion that absolutely sets in train the unity of the one and only gospel is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Our people tried to infiltrate it in verse 4. They tried to come in. They tried to change the setup. They tried to bring in these things. Oh, you've got to be circumcised. No, you've got to follow these Jewish customs. You've got to add to this Jesus. But what do they do? Look at what happens there. In verse 6, at the end of it, they added nothing to my message. Look what they say down there in verse 8. They are James... Peter and John, or Cephas was his name, those esteemed pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. We're in partnership together, guys. And they recognised the grace given to me. They recognised that what Paul was doing, the gospel he was preaching, what Peter, James and John and all the apostles in Jerusalem were preaching was the same gospel, the one and only. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That was it. And the freedom that they have in that. Yeah, that works out in how we live and we learn more about that and the rest of the New Testament teaches how to live in that. But it's nothing other than that. And the rest of Galatians, we're going to see what that freedom looks like, living in the Spirit, living in a loving, obedient relationship with Jesus. But our salvation, our freedom is set in Jesus and Jesus alone. Only one gospel. Nothing more. It's all him and only him. And that's where our unity is, guys. The unity that Peter, James and John and Paul had was a unity that was going to set the framework for Christianity for the rest of eternity. It runs through till today. Anyone and everyone who has put their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, we are all on the same page, guys. We are all brothers and sisters. We've all been brought into the family. And we need to be so careful that we don't start condemning those that are doing it slightly different to us. Maybe they sing differently. Maybe they wear their clothes differently. Maybe they part their hair differently. Maybe they do baptism slightly differently. Maybe they do what they do in the service slightly differently. But if they are in Jesus, then they are our brothers and sisters in Christ and we have unity in that. We have to love one another like that. And we can have that unity throughout the world. But we don't have unity if anyone is adding to Jesus. If anyone adds tradition, experience, the way you do your church service, whether you sing hymns or modern songs, whether you drink or don't drink alcohol, whether you smoke or you don't smoke, whether you wear certain clothes or don't wear certain clothes, whether you wear thongs to church or not, whether you wear bare feet to church or not. As soon as we add anything to Jesus and Jesus alone, it is not the gospel, guys. And there is no unity there. Still love them, encourage them, seek for them to come to know Jesus, but there's no unity there. But we have unity in Jesus and Jesus alone. And we can stand on that. Because that's the truth. We can hold on to that. Because that's the truth. Because you see, that's freedom. Freedom. 
As soon as we add anything other to the gospel, we are suddenly enslaved to do stuff. Oh, I have to behave in a particular way. I have to eat a particular type of food. I have to wear a particular type of clothes. I have to try and do a particular type of service. I have to add an extra tradition. I have to add an extra experience. But I can't do that. I'm not doing that. Oh, no, I'm in bondage now. I have to try and... I'm a slave to trying to do stuff. But in Jesus, we are set free to live for him. Never go back to bondage, guys. Please. That's what Paul is urging us. Never do it. Don't do it. Stick with Jesus and Jesus alone. And they ask them one more thing, don't they? And this isn't a rule, but this is out of concern. This is out of a pastoral care. Look at what I say in verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue, and they were already doing this, to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. You see, at that point in time, when Paul's gone to Jerusalem, there was actually a major famine happening. Like They'd had a huge drought, food was very scarce, and particularly the Christians in Jerusalem were very, very poor and struggling big time. Uh, and if you read a little bit more about Paul, you'll know that when he goes off on his journeys, he grabs a collection together to take back to Jerusalem to give to the poor. And so he says, that's exactly what I want to do. That's exactly what I'm on about. Helping the poor. And it's a good challenge for us, isn't it? We do live in a place where we have a whole lot of stuff. And the poor are still there. But you know, the really good news is that there's only half as many as there were back in 1981. That is phenomenal. And it's even less today. So there's some stats I found out. What they call more extreme poverty is people who live on less than a dollar of 25 a day. That's not even half a coffee, guys. There are people in the world that can only have half a coffee and that's all they can eat all day. No, they're living on a dollar 25 a day. That is minuscule, isn't it? Uh, what's our average wage per week? It's about 300 and something dollars, 350, 400. Probably even more than that. That's probably our base. But they're on a dollar twenty-five a day. Uh, that's what they call extreme poverty. Back in 1981, uh, globally it was 40%. In 2010, it's only 14%. That is a huge change, isn't it? There is good news out there, guys. It's not all doom and gloom in our world. All right? This is the most uh, best time in history to live in one sense if you want to live longer. Only 14%, that's fantastic news. Uh, Low-income countries, 1981 was 63%, 2010, 44%. There's almost a 20% drop. That is good news. Remember Bono was uh, part of the group that said, make poverty history. Well, they actually believe that there is a chance of getting it to a minuscule figure if we in the Western world continue to look after and help and remember the poor which is exactly what Paul had been doing. And I know that's what a lot of us do as well. Don't forget them. Remember them. Because they're on God's heart, aren't they? The poor, the displaced, the dispersed are the people that God welcomes in. Well, only one gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul's just given his testimony. He's just justified his gospel for us, hasn't he? Uh, He's put it out there for us so we can know it and understand it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Can I encourage you to trust 
in that gospel? Can I encourage you to stand in that gospel? Can I encourage you to live out that gospel? Because it is the gospel of freedom, guys. The gospel of Jesus Christ and him and him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you for the, the good news of Jesus. It really is phenomenal and life-changing, transforming news, Lord. Uh, Lord, we know that when you've stepped into our lives, you've changed it, and when you've stepped into others' lives, you've changed it. And when we've looked here, we've seen how you've stepped into Paul's life and taken him, Lord, and made him into the one of the most powerful evangelists for you, Lord bringing the good news to the world that he knew in the day. And Lord, he did that. And he had the same gospel as Peter, James and John, Lord, the same gospel that gives us unity today, the same gospel that we stand in here and now, the gospel in Jesus and Jesus alone who saves. The freedom to know that we can live within that live in freedom, live in love, live in relationship with Jesus and live in obedience to him. Lord, we pray that as we look through the rest of Galatians, we'll see how that pans out. We'll see, Lord, that you haven't left us alone in that, but you've given us your spirit to empower us to do that. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to continue to teach us in Galatians. But here and now, Lord, help us to stand in the truth of your gospel. Help us to trust in the truth of your gospel. And help us live in the freedom of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, Lord. Amen.